Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. A section that I am calling the joy and sorrow of ministry. We will pray and then read the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before your throne, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, help us to understand. Father, in this uh, strange time, it was for just this time that you've placed each of us. Father, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. And Father, may we have a passion for you that is second to nothing. Second to nothing. Father, as we look at our brother Paul and we think about the heartache, the sorrow, the discouragement and despair. Father, may we also see his focus, his understanding of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And Father, his understanding of the privilege of being a child of the Most High God. Help each of us this day grab a hold of this and hang on for dear life. To your glory and to your praise, Christ's name, amen. Verse 1, chapter 6. And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, giving no cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, in affliction, in hardship, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, unknown yet well-known, as dying yet behold, we live, as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. I can think of no one who suffered more than the Apostle Paul for the sake of Christ. And I've read some dandies. Uh, I'm in a book right now called The Mighty Weakness of John Knox. And uh, he was one of the founding fathers of the Scottish Reformation who literally stood against uh, the church, uh, Roman Catholicism, you know it. You may know one of his uh, queens that he served under. Uh, Bloody Mary was her name. And she was called that because if she found someone with a Bible preaching the Bible, she would eviscerate them. And before they died, she would dip their Bible in their bowel section. She did not believe that any human being should be have access to the scriptures except those who were priests. Okay? It's pretty fascinating if you think about it. And yet, I cannot think of anyone who probably suffered more than the Apostle Paul. And yet, I can't think of anyone who understood the joy of serving the Lord Jesus Christ more than the Apostle Paul. One of the things that I know that in my life that I have spent so much time seeking Paul and reading Paul and understanding Paul is he had in his soul woven into the fabric of his being that Jesus is going to show up any second. Any second. And I remember in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, if you wanted to plant a church or start a church, you would teach on the book of Revelations. 
Because everybody wants to know the future. Okay, so you teach on that book, and then you'd build you a church. And it's kind of fascinating. Uh, um, I have spent a lot of time in the book of Revelations. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah. But I always look at the book of Revelations a little different than anybody else because my understanding of the book of Revelations is blessed is he who hears and understands the things of this book. Okay? And I really don't need to do anything else in that book. I'm just going to be blessed. All right, I'm in. Okay? But I, I watch the church today in America... Um, and, and, and it's kind of growing. Uh, when the first times that we went into Russia, um, I, it's like what the church in America has done in centuries, the church in Russia is doing in decades. Okay, um, by the way, it's not a positive thing. All right, the same thing I see in Europe. Okay, uh, in late 60s. Uh, there was a council on the church in London. And uh, some amazing people spoke at that. And it was talking about the unity of the church. Uh, and you had people like John Stott, um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, Stephen Olfer. I mean, you had some guys who've, who've read their Bibles. Okay. And uh, they warned America of where they were it was coming to America. You know what their main concern was? You really want me to tell you? If you put the emphasis on the music, the church will die. Okay. Now you got to remember, this was 68. You had what is called the British invasion going on. The Beatles, the Rolling Stone, the Who, uh, those that I grew up with. And they said, if you put your emphasis on that, the church is going to die. Why? Because they were dying and they understood it. Uh, seven, seven years ago, I was in London. I have a dear brother who's a pastor there. Uh, and I asked him what the spiritual condition just... He was over towards the cliffs of Dover between uh, London, about halfway between the cliffs of Dover and London. And he said, uh, the church is not reaching outside. He says, the only thing that's growing in the church is generational. Grandparents to parents to kids. And that's it. Okay, still that way. It's still that way. What's it in America? So um, we get the warning sign out there. And, oh, I won't fall off that cliff. <laughs> sure you will. I've been around long enough. I remember my grandma. I moved out here in 1978, I think it was. And, and my grandma, she's about that tall. Okay. All right. Had hearing aids. Uh, remember when they used to have the hearing aid? The thing was right here. And you had it. You guys all look at me like I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, but that's why my grandma's was. She heard here because I remember her talking on the phone. She'd hold the earpiece down on her chest and she'd talk to it. And you're like, Grandma, it don't work that way. But anyway, it worked fine for her. And and I remember she told me, uh, my my grandparents were extraordinarily poor. And they get, she gave me a uh, a case of jelly that she had canned, and, which is ironic because I hate jelly. Uh, so she gave me a case of jelly and a $20 bill. Okay, and I was getting ready, had my truck all packed up, and I was getting ready to head out to Colorado. And she says, will you do me a favor? And I said, what's that? Okay, this is 78. She says, when you get settled in, would you see if you can find a church? And I thought, well, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. Because like I said, I wasn't raised in the church. Okay? You know, I can't do that in good conscience today. Think about that for a second. If you had kids going someplace, could you honestly in good conscience say, I need you to go find a church? Churches are spooky today. Absolutely spooky. You ever thought about that? 
Do you understand that in my position, how sorrowful that is? That you can't tell people to go find a church? Think about that for a second. I mean, there's all kinds of entertainment centers out there that meet on Sunday mornings. But when it comes to what is the church, summarize it. 1 Timothy 3.15. It is the pillar and foundation of truth. If the church ain't doing that, what is it? What is it? Do you see what I'm trying to get at? And as a pastor, okay, that's heartbreaking. Had a little issue this week with the pastor's prayer time. And um, I, I don't know what was going on, but I had to take a stand. Okay, and it wasn't, you know, I'm trying to be cranky or anything like that. It's just that what happened was not biblical. And it was in the middle of our prayer. And if it ain't biblical and it's in the middle of prayer, I'm going to say something. And you know what? It was funny because afterwards, most of these pastors were, amen. Then why didn't you say something? I don't understand that. It wasn't that I got into, do trichotomous dispensationalists be prone to Gnosticism? I was looking at a text of scripture that says if you're going to speak in a language, you have an interpreter. If not, be quiet. That is not deep theology. It wasn't that hard. All I asked when the prayer was done was, who's interpreting? Interpret it for me. Well, nobody's got the gift. Then you are to shut up. That's not rocket science. Well, you're being Baptist. No, I'm being 1 Corinthians 14-ish. And I don't do that to pick a fight. I'm sitting there saying, teachers... We'll be judged harsher. And if you're not going to take a stand on truth, then sit down. Find you another job. And there's heartache in that. There is heartache in that. I was thinking about this church. When, when you've been in one place as long as I've been in one place, um, I've seen them come and seen them go. I have been called some horrific things. Uh, I have been accused of things uh, that you just sort of, oh, that's, that's special. Um, a lot of things have happened in this congregation. At one time, you ain't going to believe this, this congregation was a little over 300 people. But in typical Baptist tradition, we split and put a bunch of church plants out. <laughs> okay. And, and so I, I've seen it over and go up and down and up and down. If everybody who said that they loved me when they started were still here, uh, there's not a building big enough in Castle Rock for us to be in. And yet a lot of those people are the ones who um, came against us. Uh, sometimes specifically me. Uh, sometimes the leadership or, or whatever. But we, you know, we just keep going along. Uh, nothing's... Change, we still have that one book. And yet, I think about the heartache that happened that people that I had considered friends and close to, uh, and some of the things that they've said about me. I think about what they did to the Apostle Paul. And the church in Corinth, they accused the Apostle Paul selling a message of grace, teaching a message of grace because he wanted sexual favors. Okay? Now, don't get me wrong, that's, if you're Paul, or you're a pastor, that's, God, that's, that's a little tough. But you know what was amazing about the church in Corinth? Nobody stood up to defend him. And I thought, as a, 
as a pastor, as the, as the founder of the church, how tough would that be? I mean, you know, nobody's going to take his defense. I mean, even when they, he was arrested and taken to Rome, preparing to have his head removed, he said, at his defense, no one was there to defend him, but the Lord stood with me. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, I cannot think of anything that could bring more sorrow. And I shared with you last week that the greatest heartache that I've ever experienced is not when unbelievers reject truth. It is when saints walk away from truth. Okay, and then the great debate. Well, were they really saved? Or are they, you know, that ain't the issue. If they've been exposed to truth and they walked into truth and then all of a sudden they decided that they ain't listening no more, uh, is there really anything else that can hurt you more as a pastor? But I, I, I want to try to help us. I, I know that everybody's like, well, I'm feeling pretty cheered up now because... If you're in the ministry, you get this. And um, I can tell you by the Apostle Paul's life, I can tell you by my life, it is unrelenting. It doesn't stop. The sorrow of ministry will not cease until that day you stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Have you ever heard people drop names? Huh? You know, I've, I've worked with such and such. I remember one time uh, I was doing a conference down in Albuquerque. And uh, I wasn't a, a key speaker. I was doing one of the side things. You know, off in the closet <laughs> things. And um, I had a chance... The conference was getting ready to start. The huge auditorium thing was packed. And I mean, they had these big TV screens that humongous. I mean, you just sit there. And so they asked me to come back. And um, Dr. Wayne Barber was there. And Dr. Stephen Olford was there. And me. And they asked me if I would pray before they went up and taught. That's the greatest honor I ever had in my life. I didn't teach. Nobody even seen me back there with them. I walked back out the aisle and went down this big old hallway and came back around where everybody else was sitting. But I got to pray with them, men. And I'm, I'm talking, Wayne, Wayne, some of you guys know Wayne. He's about 19 feet tall. Okay. Well, when he stands at the pulpit, his belly button comes right here. Done this thing. It looks like he's behind a little piece of kids' furniture. But all three of us got down on our knees and we prayed. I prayed. And to have Wayne and Doctor Olford and all of them sitting in there praying, it was just just awesome. That's name dropping. I remember going to see uh, George Benson. I don't know if anybody knows who George Benson is. Um, he's a jazz guitarist. And uh, <laughs> it was in Cincinnati, and uh, I sat down in my chair, reserved seats. It's a little auditorium thing. And the guy sitting next to me sits down, and I look over at him. And I said, man, that looks just like Joe Morgan, second base for the Big Red Machine. And I look over there, and he's got a ring about the size of China. And I'm like, that's got to be Joe I mean, you know. And sure enough, friendliest, nicest man that I've ever sat with. And I'm sitting right next to Joe Morgan. We're going to watch Benson. Really? And I'm sitting there going, this is really weird. I don't even know what he played. <laughs> All I know is that he had a light, a ring that was big enough that if a spotlight hit it, it was, what was that? Okay? But we've all had little interludes with people, or it may have been somebody in your job that if I can just work with that person right there, well, we can get some stuff done. What a privilege it would be to study under that man. 
What a privilege it would be if he could impart to me some of his talents and techniques. I, I remember uh, a guy, you, you guys know him. Uh, I knew him before he was a celebrity. One of the best welders I've ever seen in my life. Okay. His name's Jesse James. Okay. He was named after, uh, yeah, the guy with the guns. But I tell you what, this guy could weld air. I, I just never seen anything like it. I mean, what he could do. Uh, nice guy. And I can't think if I could just get him to show me how to, to weld. Uh, at that time, uh, <laughs> it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> it's a long story. Um, but there's things like that that you and I, we deal with and we think, well, if I could just be a little time, maybe some of that will rub off on me. Okay. When I think about ministry, it is so painful and it's so unrelenting. And yet we labor, and there's times that we feel like we're laboring for nothing but hostility. Paul even says it here, it's full of dishonor. We labor and we get evil report. We get all of that. But the Apostle Paul as I shared with you earlier, he lived that at any moment, Jesus Christ's second coming was coming. I'm going to challenge each of you today. Because if you're saved today, you're in the ministry. Okay? Please hear me. You're already in it. Salvation brings a package deal. But you and I, we get discouraged. And what I understand is, is that there's a lack of understanding of point one, which is the privilege. We don't see the privilege of being in ministry. You don't believe me because I watched the church today and their deal is if I can get enough bells and enough whistles to entice people in and get enough people's seats filled, then I can hire ministers and we can take care of you. And you know what, brothers and sisters, that is not biblical. It's not biblical. Every single one of you is a minister to the Lord Jesus Christ. Every single one of us must stand before Him and say, Lord, what you gave me as a steward, this is what I've accomplished. And the only way that you're going to overcome your difficulties is to understand this privilege. Look right there in verse 1. And working together with Him. Stop right there. See, that's the perspective of what ministry is. It's work. Okay? You're working with Him in His honor and His high holy privilege that He has graced those who are saved. Beyond, it is beyond anything that you and I could ever have hoped for. I don't care what your passions are. I don't care what your desires are. I don't care what your plans are. It cannot compare to what the Lord Jesus Christ has given to His people. Can't compare doesn't even, you can't even put it together. If a man gains the wealth of the world and loses his soul, what's he got? We are working, that little phrase right there, we are working in an effort with the living God. Now, I don't know about you. I got a little note right here, and I wrote it in red. And every time I write it in red, that means you really need to repeat this. Okay? I hate to break the news to you. That changes everything. 
Flat out changes everything. I don't care what you think Christianity is. I don't care what you think baptism was. I don't care what you think a walking the aisle was or how many times you prayed. You are in an effort with the living God. Too many Christians are concerned with what they get than what they give. Ministry means to serve. Paul says, I am a drink offering poured out. Okay? Drink offering was the end of the sacrifice. When you had the bull, all the sacrifices had already been burned up as an offering to God and you would have blood mixed with wine and sweat and you would chuck it into the fire and this steam would go up. That's the drink offering. It has no value. You're getting rid of the stuff in the bowl. That's what Paul said he was. And yet I see some and have been around some Who are courageous. And those that are courageous in the ministry are those who know what it means to work with God. I've heard people, I get to work with such and such. I get to see such and such. I get to deal with such and such. You know what? I only work with God. I remember one time I was doing that preaching school in Memphis. (laughs) And, uh, it's called a practical preaching uh, workshop. And there's just a small group of us. I think there was nine of us over the course of four days. And you basically had Stephen Olford and his son uh, and, of course, Heather. Uh, they were all going to um, mark out your sermon. You went up there and you preached. And these guys all sit right there and went through this little list of things on what you did right and what you did wrong. So when I got there, they asked me, they said, well, when would you like to go first? Well, normally, nope, I'm, I want this pain over. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want anything to do with it. And one of the secretaries had become a pretty good friend of mine, and she came and she says, are you nervous? I said, nervous? <laughs> Dude, <laughs> if my hands is on fire, I can't spit, spit to put them out. She says, well, you know that every Sunday you preach before Jesus. I said, yeah, but he ain't sitting there grading it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I mean, Stephen Olford is probably the single most powerful preacher I've ever sat and listened to. Never seen anything like it. Never seen anything like it. I've seen him coming out of chemotherapy uh, in his 80s and had a, a, a devil of a time and yet preached at John MacArthur's church after a week of other pastors. I mean, after John MacArthur. And I, I watched him walk up the stairs, and I'm like, that poor old man's going to die. They got, help him. And then he gets up there, and it's like, whoa, heaven open. And that guy just went to 20 years old. Never seen anything like it. It's impressive. I had read one of his books. I thought, a guy who writes these kind of books is dead. This is going to be like a Puritan or something. Never seen anybody preach like him ever before in my life. And he just comes on, and then it goes off. And you just sit there and go, how do you do that? And he's going to grade me. But it always stuck with me, not the fact that she says, you know what? It's all right. It's Dr. Olford. He likes you, (laughs) which is good. But you know what meant the most to me? Even right now, I'm not preaching for you. It's for the king. The opportunity, the privilege to proclaim his truth is the most amazing and glorious thing that I can ever think of because all I'm bringing forth is the ministry of reconciliation. I'm telling you, be reconciled to God. Yet, I get the privilege of strengthening the saints and at times peeling back the darkness of the lost. And yet, I get no guarantee of either one. 
Too many today fail to realize the level of the privilege given to be a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are ambassadors. You are working together with the almighty God who flung the stars into the heaven. You have been called. You have been gifted. You have been empowered. You have been placed in the perfect location that God needs done. And He's energized you to accomplish it. To serve Him with the promise of eternal rewards. Oh, did I tell you? I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. With him. Okay, if you look at your text, with him is in italics. Okay, anytime you see italicized words in your Bible, it means it's not in the original manuscript. Okay? It's been added by the translator. But, I've watched people say, well, is it supposed to be in there? Have you not read? Verse 19 of chapter 5. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Look at verse 20. Therefore, because it's been committed to us, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal Through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Well, does that fit? Yes. Look how the verse starts in verse 1. It's a conjunction. You know what that means? It's joined together. It says, and. So when I look at this, working together with who? It's got to be with God. Why? Because you have been given the ministry for Christ's reconciliation by God. This is not that complicated. You do not have to go back to the original syntax to find out if this is really what's going on. All I have to do is look at the word and. Okay, now we get really confused because somebody put a big six. On there, which means we started something else. No, we didn't. God works through us. That's why the translators put with him there. We are working together with him. God came to dwell in us. In the person of the Holy Spirit, in the form of His Holy Spirit, He takes up residence in us. Ephesians chapter 3 says, In the Holy Spirit, in the inner man will strengthen you. It's God in His form. We work in diligence with you. Do you understand how special this is? We need to understand how special this is. Will you work diligently as a co-worker with God? Every one of you I'm asking. I want you working with God. Empowered by God. Seeking the face of God. Gifted by God. Placed in this place by God. For a time such as this now. This isn't, well, you know, I guess I ought to go to church on Sunday. Maybe not. Could be too hot. Too cold. Maybe it's just right and I'll miss a just right day. See, Paul never lost the sight of this privilege. And I don't care how black it was. I don't care how black it was. One of the most powerful letters he ever wrote was Second Timothy. He's in the Mamatine prison getting ready to get his head cut off. And he's already been to court once. And they're basically going to execute him. And yet all he's doing is encouraging Timothy. <laughs> and his only thing for Timothy is, you know what? If you can bring me a cloak, great. And the parchment so I can do some reading. That's amazing to me. If no one ever listened, if no one ever responded, just the privilege of working with God was enough for the Apostle Paul. How about you? 
See, Paul's already understood. If it is going to be life to life, so be it. But if it's death to death, so be it. God working through the person to God's own glory. That sustains us when the going gets tough. And let me tell you something. If you're truly serving the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to tell you something right up front. The going will get tough. Now, I've watched people try to disregard that with him text. And it's really not that hard. I will tell you, reading the Apostle Paul's life and Peter's life and Jesus' life and what I also experienced in my own ministry, I understand this completely. You're going to get disappointments. And, and I, I remember a guy telling me one time, I was going through some stuff. and uh, Well, it was Wayne. And, and he said, well, now you've got to understand something. When you're going through this, you can't take it personally. It's pointed at Christ, and you're just an ambassador to Christ, and so they're coming at you because they're trying to get at Christ. And I said, well, Wayne, you've been through some stuff like that. Did you take it personally? He says, you betcha. <laughs> Absolutely, I took it personal. Okay, And you can't help not take it personal. But if you go over to uh, 1 Corinthians 3.9, For we are God's fellow workers. You know what? I, I, I'm not a theologian. But is that a pretty clear statement? <laughs> we are God's fellow workers. Okay, do you know what that means? We're not in it alone. God is with us. That ought to encourage you. Some it does, some it doesn't. Galatians chapter 3, verse 20. We all know this verse, but do you really think about it? 2.20, sorry. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. Dr. Olford had a lot of books published, and if you got one of his books and he autographed it, that's the verse he put in there. 2.20. Why? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Six seventeen along that same lines of 1 Corinthians. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Because he says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So he's there. You're already in it. It isn't that, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I got saved and I need to go to Bible school or seminary or something like that. And now I'm going to get ready to be a minister. No, you're already there. You have been gifted. You have been empowered. You have been placed. First Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Verse 5. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. Verse 6. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Okay, if God is giving all of this, what are we giving? You know what? I was thinking about this. I have the privilege of working together with God who spoke existence into being. You know, one of the ones that I read an Arthur Pink book years ago, and to this day it sort of gives me a headache. Um, that guy there, man, he's just circling the planet. I, I don't. He just never landed. Um, but I, but I remember him talking about time. <laughs> and uh, dude thinks too much. Um, but I thought about this. God 
created time. Okay, now, see, I'm not going to get as heady as he is, because I remember reading several chapters and thinking, I don't know what he's saying. Okay, but I did think about that. He created time. Okay, and he stepped into time for you and I to have the privilege of working with him. He who created time. Well, I set the waters apart by the foundations and I made the measure of where the seas could go. Huh. But when he did that, he says, because I want you to co-labor with me. What was he thinking? No. But you see what I'm trying to get at? I, I don't understand that. And yet he says, you will be my ambassador. You will be my minister of reconciliation to a lost and dying world. And I will empower you with the power that separated the seas and gave the waters their range. And why wouldn't I not be willingly step up and say, here I am, send me. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. But one and the same spirit works all of these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. See, outside of the things of the kingdom, guess what? You're on your own. Think about it. Now, now you, this, this is real, people. There are things that you do that have absolutely no kingdom purpose to you. Right? Right? And let me ask you a question. Does any of it ever frustrate you? And yet, if I'm doing kingdom purpose... Who's the power behind it? And you are never, ever frustrated. Listen, I have preached to people that I knew were dead in their sin. And when I left, they were still dead. And you know what? I understood the privilege of sharing it. Fine. You put me here. I walked with a group of college kids in Orel, Russia. And we, we walked too far for my age. Because they've got like buses and trains and all of this other stuff. And we walked by every one of them. Okay. And I went from Genesis to Revelations with this group of kids. Literally. Every book in the Bible, boom, 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 boom. And as they had questions, I had answers. And I'd like to tell you it's because I'm such a Bible scholar, but it was just divine intervention. God said, this boy's going to walk. <laughs> he can't be thinking. And when I got done, you know what? Not one of them said the sinner's prayer. Not one of them walked an aisle. But every one of them are responsible now from Genesis to Revelations. That's pretty good for me. Think about that for a second. Took me three and a half hours to walk from the college back to where I was staying. And 66 books of the Bible. Can you do it? (laughs) But you see what I'm trying to get at? It is, you and I are results oriented. I shared the gospel and they didn't repent. I don't understand that. No, you shared the gospel. That's it. I want you to see that this is an emphasis of scriptures. God comes in the form of his Holy Spirit. He takes up residence in the believer and he works in and through us. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19. 
And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe they, these are in accordance with the working of his strength and of his might. Chapter 3, verse 7. Of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which has been given to me according to the working of his power. Can anybody tell me what the limit of God's power is? Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond what we could ask or think according to the power that works within us. Do you understand that power? Damn it, he crickets people. He raised Jesus from the dead. He flung the stars into the heaven. He made time. He made space. He made matter. And he only did it by speaking. And you really think you got something you're going to add to that? The greatest man born of woman was John the Baptist. Why? I must decrease. He must Increase. I am but a clay pot with a precious treasure inside. Paul's already told us. And I have a power source that only maintains existence. That's it. It's, it's, uh, you know what apologetics is? I always thought that was a dumb word. It's like you're sorry for something. But it, I, I hear, I had a kid that, uh, I discipled for a number of years and he, he, he had a passion for apologetics. And he says, we've got to defend the word of God. And I said, I don't have to defend the word of God. And, and he went on and on. And I finally gave him one of my old Spurgeon books. And I said, and I said, there's a certain chapter in here I want you to read. And Charles Spurgeon was asked one time by a reporter. He says, Dr. Spurgeon, you don't ever get into apologetics. He says, no. And he says, well, do you not believe you need to defend the word of God? He says, no, I do not. It is the lion of the tribe of Judah. All I must do is open the cage and turn it loose. That's all I do. It's no different when I shared with you this morning. It's this person speaking in a foreign whatever it was. All I said was, hey, who's interpreting? Because I'm dealing with the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he says if you're going to do that in language, it's great. As long as there's an interpreter. If there's no interpreter, shh. And everybody says, well, you're rude. No. It's truth. And it isn't because I'm this great scholar. You guys know me. I have one brain cell. And it's not lonely. But it doesn't get confused either. It just kind of hangs out. Do you see what I'm trying to get at, please? It is crucial for every single one of us to understand the privilege that you have as a child of the living God. Because you are tapped in to the power source that existence is maintained. Hold on tight. I'm just getting started. Chapter 2 of Philippians, verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I'm starting to see a pattern here. But it isn't that easy because in Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, 28 and 29 is my two favorite verses in the whole of the scripture because this is my philosophy of ministry. Okay, by the way, it hasn't changed. 
I do not have to adjust it. I do not have to tweak it. I do not have to make it compensate for the size of the church or the smallness of the church or for who is sitting in the pews. Verse 28 says, We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Now there's a goal. That's my philosophy of ministry. Then verse 29, For this purpose, Paul says, I Labor, striving according to His power, which mightily works within me. Think about it. I'm going to present every man complete in Christ. You going to do that on your own? No, dude, you better get you some divine power. And that is, anybody who spends any time with me at all knows that that is my passion. There's nothing more important to me than that right there. But I also see that it takes me laboring and striving. Let me ask you a question. Every one of you here, every single one of you here has things that you have labored at and that you have strove at. You've lost sleep over it. You've made your muscles sore over it. You've had backaches over it. You've lost sleep over it. You've got yourself sunburned over it. You had to do all of these things. I'm going to ask you one question. Did it ever have to do with Christ? Did it? Can you say that the things of this world that you have busted your butt on, you've put, ever put that much energy in the things of Christ? That's what Paul's telling you and me today. Paul worked as hard as a man could work, and yet he understood that it was God through him because he was God's co-worker. Brothers and sisters, that's ministry. The book of Acts. I grew up, or not, I didn't grow up. I was, when I got saved and looked at the book of Acts, everybody says, it's Acts of the Apostle Peter, and then you got the Acts of the Apostle Paul. All right, you can see it. It splits right here and goes and does this thing. You know what I've learned? That ain't true. It is the Acts of the Holy Spirit through common men. And you know what? He hasn't changed. The same Holy Spirit that was in Peter, in Barnabas, in Silas, in Timothy, in Paul is the same Holy Spirit that's in you who are saved this day. And if you are not doing exceedingly abundantly what you could ever think or imagine, whose fault is it? Whose fault is it? It isn't like you ain't got the resources. It's there. Let me show you something. I have some more. (laughs) I love this. Acts 15. Acts 15. Verse 4. This is the Jerusalem council. Okay, they brought Paul in to say, wow, man, you ain't going to believe this. Remember that guy Paul was trying to get us arrested and killed? When they arrived at Jerusalem, verse 4 says, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. And it freaked them out. They were afraid of Paul. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 21. Equipped you, God, even the Lord Jesus has equipped you with every good thing to do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom the glory is forever and ever. Amen. You've already got it. You're not waiting on it. John 15. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. And you can have no fruit without me. Do you understand... (laughs) 
deserves that? Who deserves that privilege? And yet it's been given to every one of his ambassadors. It's been given to every one of his ministers. Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 20. And when they went out and preached everywhere, while the war, the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by signs that followed. See, they understood it. It isn't me. 2 Corinthians 2.14, the great triumph. Whose victory is it? Jesus's. And yet you get to march in his parade. Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, 26. This is, a, this is, I like Mark because Mark is sort of, <laughs> let me beat around the bush to see if you can figure out what I just said. Okay. And he said, speaking of Jesus, and he was saying the kingdom of God is like a man who casts the seeds on the soil. And he goes to bed at night. He gets up by day. The seed sprouts and grows. How he himself does not know. You ever thought about it? You go throw the seeds out there and what happens? I don't know. That dirt just grabbed a hold of it and squeezed the life right out of it. Well, he doesn't know how it works. I don't know how it works. You throw the seeds out. But the power of God, all of a sudden you say, wow, look. And that's what Mark's trying to tell you and I. That is what the kingdom of God is like. You throw the seeds out and you go, oh, look what grew last night. He goes to bed at night, gets up by day, the seed sprouts and grows how he himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain of the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts the sickle because the harvest has come. How shall we picture the kingdom of God or by what parable? Shall we present it? You know what he understood? I don't have anything to do with this. I don't know how this works. I cast out the seeds. Wow, look. Why? It is the power of God. He had the privilege of being a part of it. Just working of God is accomplishing this. You throw the seed out. That's truth. Life is seen. How did that happen? I don't know. It's a mystery. It's the wonder of ministry. God's work, we watch and we wonder how in the world did that happen? How did it happen? I don't know. I have a kid right now. (laughs) You guys remember him. Uh, Some of you do. Nicholas Piotrowski. He's te- <laughs> Last summer, he taught at Tyndale University in the Netherlands, Greek. He's teaching at Wheatland right now, dispensational theology by the Greek language. And he says, I was the cause of what he's doing. And I'm sitting going, get out of your mind. I didn't do nothing. He says, you never got off the book. I don't have anything else to do. I can't multitask. And he said, and I understand, you know, bless him. Bless his heart. Okay? But the truth of the matter is, I didn't do anything. I just keep throwing it out there, throwing it out there, throwing it out there. And this kid's got a brain bigger than I could ever dream of, and he's going and doing all these things. I have an access right now, and I'm not going to mention any names, but I discipled his daughter, and she is so fired up for Jesus, she's on the prayer committee for the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. And I didn't do nothing. She says, all you do is give the truth. Well, you only give you a lie. 
Do you see what I'm trying to get at? I can't tell you, look what I did. No, I don't know how it works. I keep doing the same thing over and over, week in and week out. And it doesn't change. And that's what the Apostle Paul and Mark is trying to tell you and I. The power is the power that spoke existence into being. Be faithful. See, we have a privilege as Christians to see lives transformed. We also have the privilege of Christians to watch lives condemned. People change. Remember a young man who believed that he had uh, homosexual tendencies. He, he believes it. He was in conflict, shall we say. And uh, part, part of the problem was the crowd he was hanging with. Okay, and so he wanted to sit and talk. And, and I didn't come at him with condemnation, you know, you know, it's an abomination or anything like that. I just asked him a whole bunch of questions. And, and it's a statement that I have made before and people have heard me. It says that if I focus on my depravity, I shall be depressed. It's just that simple. But if I seek his kingdom and his righteousness, all things are added unto me. And you know what he's doing? Finished seminary and did all that. And all, I didn't do anything. I didn't do a thing. I just kept saying, well, that's not what the Bible says. And it told him what the Bible says. And I wasn't there to condemn him. Well, I don't have to. I don't have to do that. And I watched lives change. Brothers and sisters, I can go through stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks. And the only thing that I've ever done is, you know, I didn't have a good music ministry. You know, I, did, I didn't do a... You know, what did they do it? A, a spiritual car wash. You know, I, I didn't do anything. Like, I just, this is what the Bible, that ain't what the Bible says. You know, but you got to do a pig roast. What? You know, Gentiles, I'm in. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, that, I remember a guy who did that. I, I, there's, there, there's a big move right now to do, what is that? Fantasy football. That's how you reach men. You get men involved in church if you do a fantasy football league. Yeah, that's just what I need. But you see what I'm trying to get at? The key to this thing is, is say, you know what? It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ. Okay, and now I am in the power source that maintains existence. Let me ask you a question. Such a privilege that I have just laid out here quickly. How do you say no to that privilege? But you know what? In this room right now, some of you are. You want to work with Him in His ways? You don't have to be creative, you don't have to be spectacular. You don't even have to be talented. See, God does it. See, it is God's power. Work in it and you do it with that right there. This thing here knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart. This is a passion for me. You'd have never guessed that, right? My prayer is that it will be a passion for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for my brother Paul, Mark, Peter, all of those who have gone before us. Father, we can watch common people. Very, very, very common people. Do things that to, to this day I stand in awe. Father, help us. Help us to understand that it is not about what we get. It is about us being crucified with Christ, what we give. Help us, Lord. Father, I, I, I am so inadequate to try to express this text. And I pray that your spirit takes fertile soil and grows an amazing fruit.
from the vine of Jesus Christ. Father, I love you. Father, may I never sway far from that privilege. Father, may my brothers and sisters embrace that privilege and excel exceedingly abundantly beyond what they could think or imagine. To your glory, to your praise. Amen.